the wind is blowing again. Just like the day of Pentecost, the wind is blowing again. Let's give him some praise, Jesus. We love you. We love you. We praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated now. You should actually have two handouts. Um, the first, uh, the first one says lesson one at the top says holiness. What, what it means to be the people of God. But I'm going to start with the other portion, biblical principles of holiness. And um, the reason I'm going to do that is, as I, I had, I had already rep- uh, prepared the first lesson, and as I was going through it, the Lord began talking to me about. Um, helping people understand why uh, the Lord uh, instituted and established holiness in the Old Testament and then carried it on to the New Testament. Uh, and there's some very strong and powerful principles. So again, you everyone should have two handouts. And the, the one we're going to be looking at first is the one that says biblical principles of holiness. And I don't expect to get through this by any means. Please understand. Uh, so we'll probably uh, keep the, uh, you know, whatever we don't finish for the next lesson. Uh, so now in this first part, again, you got your hand out. This is biblical principles of holiness. Hopefully you got that one ready, okay? And I'm going to have a couple people help me read here tonight. But I'm going to read the first set of verses out of Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 through 7. What I want you to do is underline, if you, hopefully you have a pencil or a pen with you, uh, if you don't, you know, just scream or yell, jump up and down, or ask the ushers or whatever, and they'll they'll get you something. But th- it's very important. We're going to kind of take it slow, but we're gonna uh, we're not going to try to beat a dead horse. We're going to try to cover this in a way that makes sense. Uh, so Deuteronomy chapter uh, seven, verses one through seven. This is the Lord talking, and then the the Israelites are going to be going into the promised land. And verse, uh, starting verse 1, it says, When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest, and possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. Now, again, I'm going to stop here at verse 2 for a second, but in underlying areas, God wants his people to be separated from the nations in the world. So you can do that as we go. Verse 2, it says, And when the Lord thy God shall deliver uh, them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter shall, not, shall thou not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So so will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. Verse 5, But this, thus shall you deal with them. You shall destroy their altars, break down their images, cut down their groves, and burn their graven images with fire. For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The, uh, the Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you, to, uh, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for you were fewest of all people. So I, I want to ask you, and let's uh, open this up for conversation. Why did God tell them to get rid of the nations that when they were going to go into the promised land, the Lord told them, you're going to face seven nations. Those seven nations, I want you to drive them out of the land. Why do you think God asked them to do that? Anybody? They were not serving God. Okay. Yes, sir. They had to make a choice for themselves. Okay. Anybody else? Why, why did God um, drive out or have them force out these nations? Yes. Okay. The, the, so the evil influence wouldn't be there. 
Okay, now as we went through this scripture in verse 2, the Lord said that, um, you know, that God will deliver them, that they would smite them and utterly destroy them. He goes on, he says, thou shalt make no covenant with them. All right, now let me ask you, was it likely that they were going to literally be able to drive out every single inhabitant of the land? Was it likely that they were going to be able to, imagine um, we were going to invade New Britain. Who would want to invade New Britain? But anyhow, <laughs> I say that jokingly, obviously. But if we were going to invade New Britain, it would be very unlikely that we could drive everyone out. Now, the Lord did command them to drive the people out. But he also said something. He said, thou shalt make no covenant with them nor show mercy unto them. Verse 3, he says, neither shalt thou make marriages with them. So I want to ask you right now at this point in verse 3, why did God tell them? Now, first of all, he said to drive them out, but then he said don't make any marriages with them. So that meant that some of them had to be left for them to possibly be able to marry. Okay? So why did God institute that? Again, I'm, I'm laying a foundation. It's very important that we establish some of these principles before we get into um, the big part of the lesson, but why, uh, why the, when the Lord said, neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Brother Milton, I saw your hand. They weren't the people of God. Okay, all right, so then let me ask again, and, and I, I, I believe you're right, but why did God choose marriages? Why did, and he chose other things too, but why did he, one of the first things he said, well, he said, first of all, don't make a covenant with them, and then he said, I don't want you to marry, I don't want your kids to marry their kids and their kids to marry your kids. Why was that? And I'll get Tony in just a second. Yes, sir. They served other gods. That's correct. Yes, sir. Okay, now l let me get a little deeper. Why marriage? Two shall become one. Testing your faith. 
There's, there's something I'm looking for. Um, yes. Okay. Yes, mar marriage is a permanent thing. Um, the word I'm looking for, and I, I realize, you know, I, I don't want to take it too long, but the w word I'm looking for is intimacy. In marriage, unlike any other relationship, there's a greater level of intimacy. And so the reason God said not to make marriages with them is because once you enter that level of intimacy with someone, they're going to affect your life. Your neighbor is not going to affect you like somebody you would marry. All right? Everybody agree with that? And so marriage now brings it to an entire new level where now... Um, well, of course, today is different with greater than 50% divorce rate. But still, in, in marriage, there is a greater level of intimacy and connection. And, and so the reason, and, and uh, our brother was right here that said because they served idols. They were idol worshipers. They didn't serve Jehovah God. Uh, and, and so that, those were some of the reasons. And so, and by the way, part of the answer here is in verse 4, it said, they will turn thy son from following me that they may serve other gods. So one of the reasons that the Lord established this principle was a principle of holiness and separation was because if you get too ingrained in them and they get too ingrained in you, they're going to turn your hearts away from serving the Lord. Okay, now let's skip to verse 5. It says, but thus shalt thou deal with them. You shall destroy what? Their altars, break down their what? Images or the images of their false gods, cut down their what? Groves, burn their graven images with fire, for thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee a special people unto himself, and all people above all people that are upon the face of the earth. Go in verse 7. And uh, just for those that have come in, we've got, we're under biblical principles of holiness, the first one of the, the two handouts. Uh, but anyhow, it says, um, um, Verse 7, but the Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all. Uh, let me kind of ask you, or, or at least put this out. I think we would typically say, okay, if we're going to connect with someone, we want to connect with someone that's the greater population. But the Lord said, I didn't choose you because you're population. In fact, I think we can interject other things. The Lord didn't choose them because of their wealth. The Lord didn't choose them for a lot of reasons. The reasons the, the Lord chose them uh, is because they were a people that would be dedicated uh, unto him. Now, again, I'm, I'm trying to lay a foundation because it's important to establish this. And the other day as I was praying over the lesson, um, the Lord just kind of showed me some things. Why did the Lord... Why, why did the Lord say that they were to drive out these seven nations? And each one of those nations represents something. And I never really uh, studied this before, but the Lord directed me to do that this week. And so the Lord, one of the nations that the Lord told to drive out was the Hittites. Uh, the Hittites, their name means terror. This should be in your notes, I believe. Um, they were giants who brought fear, confusion, and discouragement to others. Uh, things today that they would relate to is depression and also the love of war. And then the Lord told them to drive out the Gergesites. The meaning of the word Gergesite is one who returns back from a pil pilgrimage. Therefore, they are people that go back and are earthly or worldly. So remember, now, when he first said to drive out the Hittites. These are uh, things like discouragement and confusion. Then he said, drive out the Gergesites. They are worldly. Uh, and they built their houses out of clay, which shows they were not stable in their mindset. They were short-sighted. They were immoral. They were proud. They were corrupt. They hated God. Then God asked them to drive out the Amorites. They were people who were arrogant and boastful in their speech, who were always challenging, always debating, always arguing. And um, uh, <laughs> I'm going to kind of say this. You know, I, I love to teach home Bible studies, and, and I'll, I'll teach as many as I can. But one thing I've learned is this. If someone doesn't really want to learn and grow, there's almost nothing I can do for them. 
I've had people that all they want to do is argue the Word of God. I don't have time for that. <laughs> Go argue with somebody else. I'd rather, now I don't care, I don't mind if they challenge me or if they ask questions. That's fine. I expect that and I want that. But somebody that just wants to argue every single point, well, what about this and what about that? And so, sooner or later, it's, it just wears on you, wears you out. And, and so that was kind of the, the Amorite spirit, always challenging, always debating, always arguing. Uh, they had high self-esteem. They had pride, fault-finding in others. Um, and then the Canaanites. This name means merchants who hum humiliate. They were financial giants. The Canaanites were motivated by greed, the lust for accumulation of earthly and material wealth. Uh, they were perverse. They were idol worshipers. They, assault, they sought the approval of, of others. Then another nation was the Perizzites. They were people who had separated themselves and lived in unprotected, unwalled vi villages. They had no discipline and restrictions. They were village dwellers. Unwalled, they were lazy, short-sighted, insecure. They had no rules. Now, each one of these nations, by the way, represents the spirits that's, that's in our world today. Okay? Then the Hivites. The Lord told them to, to, to drive out the Hivites. They claimed to offer a good lifestyle living by phrases like, such as, if it feels good, do it. Don't worry what other people think. And look out for number one. How many have heard any of that lately? Okay. Uh, they lived a very luxurious life. They li lived in villages. No, uh, there was no resistance. There was instant gratification. They were impatient. They wanted to avoid pain. Then the, then the Jebusites. They were people who exploited and polluted others through immoral activities, threshers. They were legalistic, spiritual, um, they had spiritual abuse. They were controlling. They were warlike. They were uh, threatening. Uh, they were uh, tried to consider themselves like kings and lords. So these are the sort of enemies that we, uh, that we have in common today. And, and I really feel like they are very similar to the enemies that the church faces and the battles that we face. So if we could kind of, in a sense, nail it, narrow it down to seven spirits that we fight, that we fight, I believe it's the same same seven spirits. When God told the children of Israel, "When you go into the Promised Land, you're going to drive these nations out from among you," and so that is one of the principal foundation foundational uh, aspects to uh, holiness. Now I'm going to have uh, my wife read this next sec section, and then. Uh, and then Brother James is going to read, out, read uh, chapter 18, the verses we have there. Observe and hear all these words which I command thee, that it may go well with thee and with thy children after thee forever, when thou doest that which is good and right in the sight of the Lord thy God. When the Lord thy God shall cut off the nations from before thee, whither thou goest to possess them, and thou succeedest them, and dwellest in their land, take heed thy to thyself that thou... Be not snared by following them. Okay, stop there for a minute. Notice what he says. He said, take heed to thyself that thou be not snared by following them. What's a snare? Trap. A trap? Where did I hear that? Okay, it's a trap. Now, a snare happens to be a particular trap for birds. Um, it's uh, usually a piece of string or something that uh, is laid on the ground and then covered up. And when the bird, you know, they'll put some food in there, the bird will step into it, they'll pull that snare and it will grab the bird by the, uh, by the legs. Okay? Uh, so he said, Take heed to thyself that thou be not snared by following them. All right? Why is the Lord establishing that? Why is the Lord telling the children of Israel, when you go into the promised land, wherever you go to possess the land, Take heed to thyself that thou be not snared by following them. Who's them, by the way? The people that they were going to take over, the nations that, okay, what else? But if we were to call, say, who them is today, what would it be? World. Worldly people, okay? So, all right, then let me ask you, so what, what are worldly people? Non-Christians, those that don't follow God. Okay, anybody else? You want to narrow it down a little bit more? What are worldly people? Yes. Unbelievers? People that are disobedient? They don't follow, or in other words, they reject the Word of God? Uh, I'm sorry? 
Atheists, sure. So God in the Old Testament is establishing that when the children of Israel went into the promised land, they were to drive the people out from before them. They weren't to marry them uh, or let their children intermarry, things like that. Um, and then he, he said some of the reasons are that you don't want to be snared by them, okay? Uh, uh, go ahead and keep reading. Take heed to thyself that thou be not snared by following them after that they be destroyed from before thee, and that thou inquire not after their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? Even so will I do likewise. Thou shalt not do so unto the Lord thy God, for every abomination to the Lord, which he hateth, have they done unto their gods. For even their sons and their daughters, they have burnt in the fire to their gods. All right, stop there. These nations were heathen nations. One of the things they did was what? They offered their children as sacrifices. Now, do people today here in America offer their children for sacrifices? Okay, I hear some yeses. I was kind of surprised by that. I thought everybody would say no. In what form do people offer their children for sacrifices today? We don't burn, you know, people don't. I hope they don't, like, take them out in the backyard and, you know, burn them literally. But when do people today offer their children as sacrifices, and how so? Abortion. Spiritually, ab abortion certainly could be another one, yes. Hollywood, absolutely. What was Sex trafficking, things, things like that. I mean, there's literally parents that will do that. Um, I mean, it's just an amazing thing. Okay, now keep reading. What things soever I command you, observe to do it. Thou shalt not add thereto, nor diminish from it. Okay, now uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18. When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. Okay, so stop there for a second. He's saying, listen, I don't want you to learn from people that can't teach you godly things. And some of the problems, and I'm going to have you keep reading here in a minute, but some of the problems people have with principles and ideals that are relating to holiness uh, is because they feel like separation is an antiquated philosophy, but it's not. In fact, I think it's even more important today than it's ever been. We look at Israel, and, and we realize they're not as modern a people. They're not like America is in our day and in our hour, and society is in general in our, our day and our hour. Uh, so when God says things like separate yourself, drive them out, don't let them influence your life, don't marry them, it's because God is establishing a principle. You are my child. You are a child of God, and I don't want these things to be a part of your life. Because if you allow these things to be a part of your life, they will affect you. They could destroy you, uh, spiritually, obviously, in your walk with God. Go ahead, Brother James. There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that uses divination. Divination. Okay. Uh, now, what's divination? Sue's saying psychic things. Okay, go ahead. Or an observer of times, okay. or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a count counselor, consultor of familiar, familiar spirits. spirits, or a wizard, or a I don't know that necromancer. What's a necromancer, by the way? Yes, a necromancer is someone that talks to the dead. Now, before we read on. Why is it, and, and, and let's take this principle right here, why is it bad for people today to be involved with these things? God told this to Israel. Well, let me ask you this question first. Is this same principle good for the people of God today? Yes. Okay. Now, why? It's, it's not godly stuff. Okay. Um, and so... Divination includes things like what? Palm reading, tarot cards, seances, Ouija boards, 
witchcraft, astrology, sure. And so, uh, you know, it talks about uh, wizards talking to the dead. Okay, now verse 12, I think, is where we're at, right? For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. All right, stop there. <laughs> Everybody say abomination. In, a, in fact, somebody get out your smartphone and look up the definition of abomination for just a minute. All right? If you have a dumb phone, you're out of luck. <laughs> but if you've got a smartphone, look it up for a minute. Now, as you're looking it up, you got it, Brother Steve? You're going to give us the short version, right? Go ahead, Brother Steve. You got it? Or no. I thought you had it already. All right. Does anybody else have it? What, do you have it or no? Maria's got it. Okay, go ahead. Okay, that's good. So an abomination is something that God what? Something that God hates. Now, yeah, that is a strong word, so let me ask you a question. If God hates it, would a person that does those things be saved? Not unless they repent of it. So it's important for us to establish that fact. God says that he hates people that talk to the dead. He hates people that are involved with wizards and witchcraft or, or, or maybe, I, I don't know if I should say hate people. He hates the sin. Um, he hates the action, so that's a good way to say it. Um, but unless those people separate themselves from those things, then if God hates it, will someone that is involved with, with witchcraft be saved? No. Uh, how, how about, uh, you know, uh, divination, observer of uh, times, enchanters, witch, uh, you know, charmers, uh, consulter of familiar sp uh, spirits, all those things. So, so the Lord is establishing that fact. This is an ab abomination. I hate it. Okay, uh, let's go. And because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. Okay, now stop there. I know we got more scripture here. But if God instructed the children of Israel that not only they, but he was going to drive these things out from them, what is, how can we, how can we establish that in the church today, in living for God, in our service to God? What do we need to do to get rid of these things? Okay, pray, abstain from these things. What else? Okay. Um, we need to stay away from these things. If we... God was instructing Israel, I don't want you involved with these things. So, again, thus he's, he's establishing a principle of holiness. Well, let me move on. Verse 13. Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. For these nations which thou shalt possess hearkened unto observers of the times and unto diviners. Yep, diviners. But as for thee, the Lord thy God has not suffered thee so to do. So the Lord's saying, I don't want you to do these things. Okay, Leviticus uh, 18, Nina. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, I am the Lord your God. After the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein ye dwelt, shall ye not do. And after the doings of the land of Canaan, whither I bring you, shall ye not do. Neither shall you walk in their ordinances. Okay, stop there for a second. So the Lord says, after the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein you dwell, shall you not do. In other words, what they do, I don't want you to do. All right? Everybody getting that? This is important. You are residing right now in the land of Egypt. So what Egypt is doing, I don't want you to do. What was Egypt doing? Anybody? All, all kinds of ungodly things, but what did it include? I know somebody knows these answers. Makeup and jewelry was part of it, yes? What? 
idol worship? Can we say styles of clothing? Okay, but that wasn't it. That, w- that was part of it, but that wasn't all of it. It was the gods that they worshipped and the many other things that they did. So way back in the Old Testament, God is establishing principles that are, by the way, carried into the New Testament. So uh, what verse were we at? Four. Okay, go ahead. You shall do my judgments and keep mine ordinances to walk therein. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. Okay, so I want you to see this here. In verse 4, he says, you shall do my judgment, keep my ordinances. So what God was saying is you are living in the land of Egypt, but while you are living in the land of Egypt, I want you to do my ordinances. I want you to follow my uh, directions. And when you go into the promised land, I want you to do the same thing. So whether you are here or there, I want you to do my ordinances, and I want you to follow uh, my judgments. Okay? Uh, Exodus 30, uh, 34. And he said, Behold, I make a covenant. Before all thy people I will do marvels, such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation, and all the people among which thou art shall see the work of the Lord, for it is a terrible thing that I will do with thee. Observe thou that which I command thee this day. Behold, I will drive out before thee the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Hivites Hivites and the Jebusites. Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the habitants of the land whither thou goest, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee. But ye shall destroy their altars, break their images, and cut down their groves. For thou shalt worship no other god. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. Lest thou make a covenant with the habitants of the land, and they go a whoring after their gods, and do sacrifice unto their gods. And one call thee, and thou eat of his sacrifice. And thou take of their daughters unto their sons, unto thy sons, and their daughters go a whoring after their gods, and make thy sons go a whoring after their gods, thou shalt make thee no molten gods. So this is another scripture that basically says what we what we said before. But so one thing, the reason I printed this one here is where it says um, that the Lord for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. Have you ever considered God being jealous? And who's he jealous over? Because you are his children, children and People. apple of his eye. But there's a more intimate, um, you are his bride. So he's jealous because you're his bride, right? So because you are his bride, he is a jealous God, and he's jealous over who? Over us, his bride. Why is that? He doesn't want to share us with anybody else. Now, is it ridiculous for those of you that are married or those that you of you will get married or hope to get married? You expect your spouse to be what? Loyal? faithful, you don't want to share them with anybody else, right? All right, so that's what the Lord is saying, is I am a jealous God, and I'm jealous over you. I, In other words, he's saying, I don't want to share you with other gods. I don't want to share you with other things that you are intimate with. It doesn't just have to be... Uh, you know, in a marriage sense, although it is. Okay, uh, let's go ahead and jump to Judges chapter 2. And ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. Ye shall throw down their altars, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have ye done this? Wherefore, I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, 
but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare unto you. There, he said their gods shall be a snare. Now, how many have ever had a thorn? How many have ever had like a, a pebble or, or something get into your shoe? Do you just leave it there or what does it do? It bothers you. It drives you what? Drives you crazy. So what will you do if you get that pebble underneath your heel? You're going to stop. You're going to take your sneaker off. You're going to dump that thing out and you're going to keep walking. You're not going to just let it continue to irritate you. And so that is, uh, and again, in the sense that God is talking about, uh, is that he didn't want them to make a league. He, didn't, he wanted them to throw down the altar. She, uh, he didn't want the nations around them to be a thorn in their side or a snare unto them. So now let's talk about this next section, holiness, worldly separation. Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 20, verses 23 through 26. Brother James, I think you have that. And ye shall not walk in the manners of the nations. Okay, stop there. You shall not walk in the manners of the nation which I cast out before you. What what is what is a manner? I'm sorry, a style a way of living? Okay. I think that's probably the closest. Um it's a custom. Okay. Um, what are some of the customs of the world today? In general, just our world here in New Britain and Hartford and Waterbury and, you know, Danbury and this whole region here, you know, uh, East Hartford. Music. Okay, what else? Clothes, same-sex marriage, fashion. Sports, sure. Lifestyle, the customs. And so here in this verse of Scripture in Leviticus 20, he's saying, you shall not walk in their manners or in their customs uh, or in the customs of the nation which I drive, uh, drive out before you. Okay, let's keep reading. For they committed all these things, and therefore I abhorred them. But I have said unto you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you. And I will give it unto you to possess it, a land that floweth with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, which has separated you from other people. All right, stop there for a minute. So God is telling Israel, I have separated you from other people. Is that, does that still hold tr uh, true today of the church? It should, but does it? Maybe not the church corporately, but how about the apostolic church? How about churches that preach holiness and preach separation? Then there should be a, a difference. We should not take on their customs. The Lord says he has separated us. Now, and I want to cover this for a minute. Even in the New Testament, I'm going to get into that in this series, but uh, the Lord talks about how he has separated us, how he's called us out. How, how is the church separated from the world today? Now, we, how many of you go to work? Is everybody where you work an apostolic Christian, somebody who believes in holiness? No. So what should some of the customs and things that you do, how should they differ from people in the world? Or, or we talk about what are some of the customs of the world. And, and, and so how can we be in the world but not of the world? I guess that's how I want to explain, ask it. How can we be in the world but not of the world? Back there. Does anybody want to say amen to that? <laughs> That's what it's about. It means you can live for God in the midst of a heathen world, people that don't serve God, don't want to serve God, or maybe aren't interested in serving God yet, 
And they're doing all kinds of things that you don't agree with that go against the Word of God. But you can still live for God without, um, let me ask this question. Does the world impact you? Um, I don't know if that's the best way to say it. Um, influence you. If, if you walked into a building that smelled like smoke and walked back out, what would happen? You're going to smell like smoke. What are you going to have to do to counteract that? Take a bath, wash your clothes, <laughs> right? You know, when I, when I had my service master business years ago, there were times that we worked in some houses where they smoked so heavily that the walls were red. And you could see it just dripping down the walls. You touch the curtains, and it's, they're sticky, and you, the furniture is sticky, and, I mean, it just stinks to high heavens. Uh, we, you know, whether it was a fire damage, sometimes we just were called in to clean houses, and we would spray the walls with our chemical and start washing them, and literally the buckets they were using to rinse the rags would turn blood red. Uh, and, I mean, we, we'd wash walls that looked red or dark brown. By the time we were done, they were white. So when we went to houses like that, what did we come out smelling like? Smoke. I'll never forget another house we went to. This is going to make your skin crawl. Uh, I, I, we were called to go to the house. They, had a, they said they had a problem with bugs. Well, let me put it to you like this. When, and the house was empty, so... I walked into the house to take a look at what we had to do, and I had khakis on. When I walked back outside, instead of tan, they were black, and they were getting black from the feet up. <laughs> Everybody's going like, oh. <laughs> so, um, you know, I'll just tell you what I did. I mean, I literally right now on the front yard, I pulled my pants off. I'm shaking them out. I'm like, I ain't taking that home with me. <laughs> so we ended up set, setting off like 12 bug bombs. And when, when the bugs were finally dead, we swept them up into huge piles. So <laughs> I'm using that as an example to tell you that sometimes you walk into the world and things start crawling on you. And you've got to decide whether you're going to let them crawl on you or not. So the principles that God is establish, establishing here is helping you to understand there are some things you should not let crawl on you. There's things you should not let get into your life. And, and so that's where this is going. And now I think I kind of went way off in left field somewhere. Where are we, guys? 25. Okay. You shall therefore put difference between clean beasts and unclean and between unclean fowls and clean, and you shall not make your souls abominable by beasts or by fowl or by any manner of living thing that creepeth on the ground, which I have separated from you as unclean. And ye shall be holy unto me, for I am the Lord, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have served and, has, and have severed, severed you from other people that you should be mine. Okay, now I want to look at verse 26 for a minute. You shall be holy unto me. When the Lord is saying you shall be holy unto me, what is, what is he saying? Um, no. Um, I'm not, what did you say again? I'm sorry. You're, like all of you. If we're going to give ourselves to the Lord, we need to give him all of us. So, yes, I, I believe that, but. When, when he said, um, you shall be holy unto me, um, the word, uh, go ahead. The first thing that sticks out to me is the word shall. You shall be holy unto me. Okay. Um, in other words, there's going to be a transition and a, a progression. Okay. Trans reserved, okay. Pure. I think that, that's why pure, holy, set apart. The word holy means to be set apart or sanctified uh, and separate. So these are words that are associated with, with, the, with the word holy. So he's saying, you shall be holy or separate, separated, sanctified, reserved unto me. 
the reason I want you to be that way is because I'm holy. And he says, and have severed you from other people. So let's go back to the analogy of going to work. How are you severed from other people when you go to work? You still go, right? Or school? Can you go to college and be severed unto the Lord or separated unto the Lord? Can you go to work and still be separated unto the Lord? And, and, and so this is what the Lord is, is saying. Now let's go to Deuteronomy 14. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God, and the Lord hath chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto himself above all the nations that are upon the earth. And by the way, before I continue any further, I want to tell you that all these principles we're talking about in the Old Testament are also in the New Testament, every single one of them. We'll prove that later on. But uh, Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 2, he says, Thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God, and the Lord hath chosen you to be a what? Peculiar people. How many of you know any peculiar peculiar people? I'm not talking about peculiar, peculiar as in religious. I mean just peculiar, peculiar as odd or strange. Have you, have you ever met anybody like that? All right, stop thinking about whoever you're thinking about right now. Hopefully, there's nobody in this room. <laughs> but I have met some very peculiar people. Um, I have some very peculiar people in my family. Um, you know, and you do too, by the way. So, uh, but the Lord, when he's talking about a peculiar people, I'm getting tongue-tied. <laughs> he's talking about a people that are different. So, different than what? Right, don't fall asleep on me. Different than what? Different than the world. Different than the majority. Okay? Now let's look at Exodus 23. By little and little, I will drive them out from before thee. Uh, stop there. <laughs> Sorry, Brother James. When we give our life to God, hopefully we begin to change. How do we start changing? It's right there in that verse. Little by little. When you first get into the church, you know, you're, you're not going to know unless you've studied the Word of God a lot of the principles about holiness and separation and living your life for God. So a lot of these things you're going to take as you hear messages, as you hear teaching. You're going to say, oh, the Bible says this, the Bible says that. So little by little, you will what? Change. Okay, uh, go ahead. Until thou be increased and inherit the land. And I will set thy bounds from the Red Sea, even unto the Sea of the Philistines, and from the desert unto the river. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your land, into your hand, and thou shalt drive them out before thee. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in thy land, lest they make thee sin against me. For if thou serve their gods, it will surely be a snare unto thee. Okay. Based on these scriptures, what are some of the areas that God's people were to separate themselves? Marriage was one. Covenant, no, not right. Yes and no. Um, literal areas. Marriage was one. They didn't, you're not going to serve their gods. Okay. Worship their their dress, their clothing, the things that they did. Okay. Obviously, um, you're not supposed to uh, be involved with witches and with divination. Okay. So those are some of the areas. Now we talked about why separation in marriage. So I don't, I don't think I really have to cover that so much, other than to say this. Um, well, maybe I will cover it briefly. When we talk about marriage, should a Christian marry a non-Christian? Why not? Because you'd be unequally yoked, um, because they'll influence you. Um, 
I've had uh, both young men and young women have, have said, you know, they're in love with somebody, they're going to marry them, and they'll, the intent is they know they're not serving God, but they're going to bring into the church, bring them into the church. Um, it, it's never worked. And so if they're not interested in serving God, um, you know, before marriage, then they're not going to be interested in serving God after marriage. Um, so um, in what ways would these nations be snares unto them? Anybody? In what nations, what ways would the nations be a snare to them? All right, I think you're all shutting down. Their worship, their lifestyle, things like that. Okay, um, so uh, so w- what were some of the guide- guidelines that God established for Israel? Uh, marriage was one. Customs was another. Dress, conduct, worship. Uh, so what is the what is the purpose? Why did God demand separation? Or let me say it like this: Why does God demand separation? Okay, I'm getting mixed signals here. What? What? Okay. Uh, go ahead. Okay. Uh, anybody else? Yes. Okay. Good. To preserve his his nation, his people, God's people. Absolutely. Um, some of the reasons where he didn't want them to be like other nations. The word of God says that we should be in the world, but not of the world. Uh, so, uh, you know, that we would not begin to observe their ungodly customs, things like that they wouldn't pull us away from the Lord. Okay, so I'm just going to, I'm going to have time only to go through uh, maybe one scripture here in the next, in, in the actual lesson that I was going to start teaching tonight. So bring this back next week. We will uh, start, start covering this in detail. We'll have plenty of copies if you don't. But uh, All right, so now we're on the lesson that says holiness, what it means to be the people of God. As I was studying and, and, and talking to the Lord about the subject of holiness, the Lord seemed to impact me and tell me and actually asking me questions like, what does it really mean to be God's people? What does it mean to be the people of God? So that's what this lesson is about. Matthew 7, verses 12 through 20. Go ahead and read that. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go there and in thereat. All right, stop there for a minute. When, let's talk about salvation for a minute. As far as salvation is concerned, look at verse 30, 13. I mean, enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that what? Leadeth to destruction. All right, so how can we translate that? How can we, how can we make that sense to us today? The, the Lord says, wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destru- destruction. Yes. It's easy to get lost. There's many ways to get lost, okay, or to stay lost. All right, go ahead. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. Okay, stop there. So what is the gate? Straight, straight and it is what? Narrow. Narrow. In other words, there's a lot of ways to be lost, but there's only one way to be saved. Okay, yeah. go ahead. Which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So, Okay. So uh, we have to take this at face value. Would you agree with me that fewer people are going to be saved than lost? Unfortunately. Unfortunately. Um, I wish it weren't that way. I wish it was the opposite. I wish more people were saved than lost. Um, uh, But that's not what the Bible says. Part of the reason is why. Because the gate is narrow. The road is narrow. The way is narrow. Some people are just going to choose it's, it's not, I'm not going to do it. All right, go ahead. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Okay, beware of people, beware of prophets, beware of preachers that are going to come and, pri- and try to preach to you 
uh, they are in sometimes in sheep's clothing, and they are like they are ravening wolves. So you've got to be careful. Not everything that sounds good is good. Go ahead. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs or thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Okay. Now, I want to talk about Israel just for a minute, and we're probably going to finish on this part. What made Israel, God's people, different? Let's try to come up to, with a list. You can write some of these down. Their worship, okay. Their dress, okay. Uh, that's true, but the Israelite people were one God people, right? They didn't serve multiple gods. They served only one God. That was the premier uh, difference. They dressed different. What else? They were faithful. Okay, that's, that's true. Now, what about some of the things they didn't do? What were some of the things that the Israelites didn't do that the world around them did? Witchcraft? Their dress? Places they went, things they did? Okay. What was? Okay. Uh, they, they were not immoral. They wouldn't intermarry with heathens. They obeyed the word of God. Those were, uh, those were some of the things. So um, I really don't want to get into this next section because this next section kind of all feeds into itself. So I want to, I'm going to close with a, maybe a little give and take. Um, when we talk about being the people of God, if there are a people of God, then there are people that are not of God. I don't want to be too simplistic with this. But what, I, what I'm getting at is, when we, when we look at the Word of God, the Word of God has very specific principles by which we live. Those principles are good whether they're Old Testament or New. In fact, those principles carry from the Old Testament into the New. And, and so when God said, come out from among them and be you separate, he was letting the people of God know, I am lifting you up above all other people. You are different. You are a nation in and of itself. And, and I want you to think about this. The Christian people are a nation, okay? Um, and whether you are here in America or in Russia or China or in uh, Jamaica or Puerto Rico or wherever, within every part of this world, there are people that are part of a different nation. That nation is a Christian nation. And the principles by which all of those people live, it doesn't matter what language you speak, what the color of your skin is, the principles are the same. And God wants to call his people out from the world and for them to be separate, uh, a, a, a nation within a nation, a people within a people. And so you have, may have one child of God in a room of 100 heathen people, and that one child of God is still a nation unto him or herself. They represent an ideal. They represent a lifestyle. They represent God unlike no one else. And so as we learn in this lesson, we're going to find really what it means to be the people of God. And I want to just applaud you as, as children of the Lord and let you know that uh, your bravery is amazing. For you to be able to say, I am willing to be ostracized. I am willing to be uh, looked at as different because I am different, and I'm not afraid of that, uh, and it doesn't offend me when people say, well, you can't do this, and you can't do that, and why do you do this, and why do you do that? They've been saying the same thing to God's people all the way from the beginning of time, and so if they're going to say it anyhow, you may as well be saved, especially in our day. Uh, I, I, yeah, and I'm just going to kind of finish with this. 
I mean, the other day I went over to, um, uh, to Target, and you know how, I don't know why people buy ripped jeans. I mean, you know, it doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> and they spend more, spend more money for it, you know. But the other day I went to Target, and as I'm walking in, there's a girl that had tights on. She had orange and green hair, and she had tights on, and they were all ripped. I mean, big holes in them. And, I'm, you know, I, I wasn't paying a lot of attention to it, so don't worry about, you know. But I, I saw it, I'm like, why would you rip your tights on purpose? You know, and, and, you know, her jean coat was ripped and all that. And it's a, it's a lifestyle. She was trying to be what? Noticed? Different. Well, everybody in the world today is, you know, different. <laughs> and so why can't we be different and be Christian and godly and holy and righteous? What makes their different right and our different wrong? Do you understand what I'm saying? They look at us and say, well, you're, you know, you're trying to demand a lifestyle of me. No, I'm not. You can live however you want, but if you want to live by the Word of God, you're going to live by His lifestyle, not, not by mine. You're going to live by His principles, not by mine. I'm not trying to tell you how to live, but if you want to serve God, the, the, the gate is narrow and the way is narrow. It, it's not broad. The way to, to destruction is broad, but the way to God is narrow. And so we've got to establish that. What does it mean to be the people of God? And so that's what this series is going to be about. All right, let's all stand. Again, I apologize. I, I kind of, you know, again, did that prelude to the lesson, but we'll get into this lesson next week. If you can, bring it back. If not, we'll have more copies.